we are going to be in Matthew 28. Matthew 28. So if you would, as we do every Sunday, will you please, please grab your Bibles, stand up as we read God's Word for God's people. We're going to be in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 16 and 20. Last week we looked at resurrection from uh, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to finish out Matthew 28 uh, today. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's Word for God's people. Will you guys please pray with me? Lord, we lift up our voices. Lord, Your Word says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. Lord, we bless you. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus. We thank You for Your Word that informs and directs our steps. We thank You for the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Word and empowers us to walk and live it out. Lord, You are good. You are gracious. And we're thankful. And Lord, we know everyone that walks through these doors, they, uh, some of us are, are on green pastures and things are going right. And praise God, the blessing of the Lord is on them. Some of us are, are in deep valleys right now as well. But Lord, you know, you know every person's heart and where they're at, and you, you want to shepherd them. You want to love them. So Lord, I pray today that you would give faith to those who are doubting. You would give hope to those who are in despair, to give encouragement to those who are downcast, and to give joy to those who are dejected. And we believe you and you alone can only do that. And so Lord, do that. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear on this familiar passage this morning. And may you use us to reach and continue to build your kingdom as ambassadors as we go out those doors. Again, empowered by your Spirit, informed by your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you guys see, this morning I have uh, the drink of champions, Fresca. Um, yeah, you guys know me. I'm a man's man. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to lift. I like to go out and do manly stuff. But I also like listening to Celine Dion and drinking Fresca, all right? So do with that what you will. Although it's peach Fresca. I'm not too digging the peach Fresca. Any Fresca lovers in here? Go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. Grapefruit. Yeah, grapefruit, black cherry. All right. Last week we celebrated the greatest two events in human history, did we not? Friday we celebrated Good Friday where the Lord bared the burdens of, of our sin. And then, and then Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. It was Easter. It, it, it was the pinnacle of the story of redemption. We, we called it last week the greatest true drama. Easter Eve, the, the, the greatest true drama, the pinnacle. And we saw, we saw good overcoming evil. We saw love that conquered it all. We saw these supernatural events that happened with angels. Uh, we saw the villains, and we saw the one hero who overcame our, the most uh, difficult odds. 
most impossible odds to save the day. And not only to save the day, but to save you and me, and that was Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus' death and resurrection not only saved us from something, sin, death, judgment, but it also saves us to something. We saw it saves us to the new heavens and the new earth. It, it, it saves us to getting new bodies. Yes and amen to that one, right? But it also saves us to a mission. To a mission to you and me today. You see, Matthew's going to point out that the ultimate implication of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is that we as His image bearers not only love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the great commandment, and our neighbor as ourselves, but also the great commission to go and make disciples. And that's our focus this morning. We're going to focus on the, the latter of the two. We're going to focus on the great commission. We're going to focus on making disciples. If the tomb is empty, then it has an implication for you and me. That should propel us to do something. And Matthew says the greatest implication to him as he rounds out the resurrection story is that we are called to go and make disciples. We are called to go and make disciples. And the question is, how do you and I carry out the mission that we have been given, corporately and individually here at the crossing, to love God and to make disciples? Well, let's look at that. It's a, it's a very simple answer. And this is a text that we're all familiar with. But let's see it with new eyes this morning. Let's ask the Spirit of God to lead and guide and direct you personally on how you can continue to fulfill this mission. And the first thing we see is the authority given to make disciples. The authority given to make disciples in verses 16 and 18. Look at verse 16. Now, because of what just happened in verses 1 through 15, now, Matthew says, to the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to him, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what we see in verses 16 and 17, that the, the ladies, Marys, both Marys last week, were faithful with the mission that both the angels and Jesus gave them, right? They went to the tomb first. The disciples, the men, were scared to death, locked themselves up in a room, and you couldn't find them. But the ladies followed Jesus. They were going there to anoint the body. And they were met there with an angel and then Jesus. And they, and, and they told the ladies to go and tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. And then to meet them at this mountain in Galilee. So the ladies did obey. They did their job. But just like Jesus did with the ladies that we saw last week, that Jesus surprised, made a surprise visit to the disciples before they went to Galilee. And the reason why is because when the ladies first went to, to tell the disciples, it tells us in Luke that the the, the disciples doubted the ladies, that they didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected. So Jesus is like, man, i got to make a, a showing before that. And so he does, and we read about it in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, we read that Jesus pops in to where the disciples were. They were, again, locked up in the room, and apparently there was only 10 that were hiding out, because eight days later in John 20, 26, that's when doubting Thomas was there. And because the disciples told uh, Thomas when Jesus first showed up, when Thomas wasn't there, hey man, the risen Jesus came in, he just walked through these walls and he was there. And doubting Thomas is like, don't believe it, doubt it, I got to see it, right? Thomas said, I have, to, I have to put my finger in his side and I have to put my finger in his hands to believe it. Now, by the way, I was reading, a commentary pointed this out to me this past week, and I thought, I was like, oh man, I've never saw that. It is actually pretty... Uh, pretty pretty funny in some sense. 
Don't you find Thomas's statement odd? Now, the, the doubting part, we don't find odd because we get seed and believe, right? That's the part of human nature. But he says, I want to put my finger into the wounds of Jesus and then I believe. Doesn't that gross anybody out in here? Like, why would you want to do that, Thomas? Like, if he just popped up and you saw him, like, that would be good enough, right? Maybe give him a handshake, maybe a high five or something, right? But you want to put your finger into his wounds? Why? So maybe we should call him, like, weirdo Thomas and not doubting Thomas, right? I don't know, that's not weird. But anyways, many of us are like Thomas. Many of us are like Thomas. We, we tend to doubt. And, and, and Jesus understands this. Jesus understands this. And so Jesus meets Thomas exactly where he needs to be met to believe in Jesus. And if you ask anyone in here, if you don't know Jesus, and if you ask anyone in here, that all of us would testify that come to faith in Christ, that we all had doubts. We all had questions about this Jesus and the resurrection, the gospel and things of the Bible. And Jesus met every single one of us where we needed to be met so that we would believe. And He will do the same for you. He did that with Thomas. He did that with me. And He would do that with you. So anyways, we see that He shows Himself early. And then finally, He does meet the 11 disciples. Now they're all together and others at, in Galilee, at the mountain. They experience uh, the, the, the risen Savior a couple times before that, but now they're all together with others meeting them at the mountain. It says that, one of the, again, this is one of the maybe the saddest, but it's also one of the most clarifying and authentic statements of all the Bible. It says that, that when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. But some doubted. Again, that is a sad statement, but it's also a statement that I believe proves the authenticity of the Scriptures. Because it's not just all cake and ice cream. It's just not all, everything is great and everything is going well. There's truth to this. It's honest and consistent. You see, because at every gathering, like at this one, at every church gathering, every Christian conference, wherever we may go, there are those who believe and there's those who don't believe. We're intermixed. Those who believe and there's those who don't believe. And just because you come to church, I think you know this, it doesn't make you a Christian just as much as like if you stand in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Those who believe and worship Jesus are those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That Christ came out of heaven and lived the perfect life in your place and my place. A life that we were called to live but couldn't. That we fell woefully short. He then died on the cross for your sin and my sin. It should have been us up there making that payment for our sins, but He was our substitute. He took on the judgment due us. He was buried and rose again. You see, when you believe that, you, you're, when you see Jesus, you, you do, you respond as those they worshipped Him, but some still doubted. Again, if you're doubting here, now this doubting is, is equal with disbelief. It's not doubting in the sense that I don't believe in Jesus and I still have some doubts. No, you can still believe and have doubts in Jesus and, and, and God will work with you with a, I believe, but help my unbelief. This, this doubting is disbelief. And so we're calling you guys to believe this morning. Again, Jesus will meet you and He'll bring you to Himself. Now, when we hear the gospel, the Great Commission quoted, it always begins, mostly always begins with verse 19. With go. 
And I get why, why we typically said when we quote the, the Great Commission, he's like, go and make disciples of all nations. But if we miss verse 18, verse 19 will seem to be an impossible task. It'll be overbearing to us. It'll be intimidating to us. There's no way that I can fulfill verse 19 unless I understand and stand on verse 18. Verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why is verse 18 so important? It's so important because this is where we get the authority and the power to go and live out the command to make disciples. It comes from Jesus. We know in John 15, it says we can do nothing apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, with His authority, with Him sending us out, with His authority, with His commission, we have the hope to fulfill this lofty task. Here we see Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth given to Him by the Father. Typically, we're just finishing up the study in the book of Hebrews. we got a couple more studies left. But this should take us back to Hebrews 1.3, where it says this, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And Jesus upholds the universe and the world by His word of power. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and He is wielding that now. As we speak, He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, orchestrating all the events in this world at a global level and at an individual level. So we can take hope in that. I love how one says this. He says this. He says, Nothing less than the whole divine government of the whole universe and of the kingdom of heaven and on earth has been given to the risen Lord. That's the kind of authority that our King wields. That's what's backing you and me. That's the foundation in which we build ourselves up. And we see this authority in glimpses in the gospel throughout Christ's life. He expressed his authority on earth through his teaching. When Jesus opened up his mouth, people said like, oh my God, this guy. This guy is teaching with some authority that not even our scribes and and high priests teach with. It's it's in a different authority. He brings a different teaching with authority. He showed his authority over the physical world, right? Right? He healed people. He healed leopards. He rose people from the dead. He healed the blind, the hemorrhaging woman, the withered hands, the paralytic. He multiplied food. He calmed storms. And He walked on water. Every time I think about walking on water, I think of Tombstone. Right? Where's Rowat Herb? Down by the river, walking on the water. Right? So Jesus walked on the water. He had authority over the physical world. He had authority over the spiritual world, casting out demons, raising people from the dead, forgiving sins. He had, he had authority by giving authority to His disciples. Remember, He sent them out. He sent His disciples out in, in teams at one point. He sent 70 out in teams. He says, my authority goes with you. Go and proclaim the gospel. He does the same with you and to me. He's sending us out with His authority. Ephesians 1.21 says this, about Christ, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this this age, but also in the age to come. And He, Jesus, put all things under His feet and gave Him head over all things. This is the authority that we walk in. The authority of Jesus. And because we have this authority, then we can move on to verse 19. But before we do that, there was a Muslim that, that came to saving faith. And, and all of his Muslim brothers were, were upset with him. Why would you do that? 
Why would you leave Muhammad? Why would you leave the faith? Why would you turn to this Jesus and become a Christian? And he says, let me explain it to you like this. I was on the path. I'm on a journey. I'm on a road and I'm walking down it. And the road splits into two, two roads. And there's two men there. And I don't know which road to take. Do I take the one on the right? Or do I take the one on the left? And so what I did is I asked the two men, what should I go? Which, which road should I take? Well, one of the men was dead, Muhammad. The other was alive, Jesus. I asked the one who was alive. I asked the one who has authority over the power of death. Therefore, I bowed my knee to Jesus. This is the power. The power of Jesus transforms lives. The authority of Jesus transforms lives. And that is the foundation in which we go and make disciples. That takes us to the second, the second point. The commission to make disciples. Verses 19 and 20. Go therefore. We go therefore because we have the authority of Jesus backing us. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now we know, again, the Great Commission, one of the great implications of the empty tomb is the Great Commission, that we now have the ability to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The best way that we can love God and love our neighbor is to obey the Great Commission. We, we, we show that we love God when we follow His commands, His directives, when we obey His commands to go and make disciples. God loves that because we're following Him. But God, the best way we can love our neighbor is if we teach them about Jesus. Amen? It's, it's we open up the Bible and we share the gospel with them. They do not know Jesus. We, we share the principles of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit, it's love, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's self-control. That's how we best can love our neighbor and best we love God as we fulfill the Great Commission. And because, again, Jesus has all authorities to make disciples, that is the primary verb here. Uh, a lot of people think it's going. Some people think it's baptism. Some people think it's teaching. Those three verbs, those three participles, actually support the main verb. The main verb is make disciples. That's the main command. The Lord is telling you and me to go and make disciples. How do we make disciples? We teach them, we baptize them, and we go. And so the first question is, what is a disciple? Again, this, this is like Christianity 101, but we can't assume that everyone knows what a disciple is. And this is so crucial because a lot of people, if I ask you, what is a disciple? And you would say, well, a disciple is someone that goes and does this, this, and this. And that is right. But there's something that's even before that. The reason why a disciple goes and makes disciples is because his first identity is he is a disciple. And so what is a disciple? First, a disciple is one who's been resurrected from the dead. One who's crossed over from death to life. One who has repented of their sins, trusted in Christ, and now has, again, crossed over from death to life. You are now a new creation. That is your identity. So when I say, what is a disciple? A disciple is one who has been saved by the gospel of grace. That is your identity. It's who you are that then propels what you do. So first, you are a disciple. That's who you are. That's your identity. You are a disciple of Christ. You are a son and daughter of the King. Therefore, now you go and make disciples. You do what your identity inform, informs you. And we see there's three characteristics of a disciple. Going, baptizing, and teaching. First, going. This idea of go is not necessarily like, I'm going to pick up and move my family to Africa and be missionaries, though it might be. 
This idea of going is, means this. As you live your life, as you are going along the road of life, make disciples. So wherever you're at, wherever you live, work, and play, you make disciples. You take the mission of God with you to make disciples. It's a daily event. As you go about your life, make disciples. Uh, we, can, we have a saying around here that needs to be communicated more and more that we start with early on. And it really sums up the great, the great commission. It's this. We are just ordinary people living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality and empowered by the Spirit. And really what that does is that just sums up the great commission of, of, of going and teaching and baptizing. We are ordinary people living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's our desire. Our desire is, to, again, that third value. We want to leave a legacy with those who don't know Jesus. So who, who are those people that do not know Jesus? Everyone we come in contact with in our daily lives. There's an opportunity there to make a disciple, to share Jesus with them. So wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, everyone you come in contact with are, is a possible disciple if they don't know Jesus. It first begins in smaller circles with your family, and then your friends, and then your co-workers, and then the strangers. And notice it says, all nations. The context there, remember, this is written primarily to Jews at that point, probably. And what Jesus is saying, hey, this is going back all the way to Abraham, where I'm choosing you, the Jews, to be the blessing to the nations. And the nations are Gentiles, anyone that's not a Jew. And so this is what Jesus is doing. This is the biblical theology of salvation that even back when, when um, uh, the, the mission was given to Abraham and is set apart in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17, in it was you and me, Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, that God was going to bring into his kingdom. There's a great scene in Revelation 7-9. If you have your Bibles, turn there real quick. Uh, Revelation 79, uh, chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 9. I want to read this. This is a great scene that we're going to get to participate in. And it begins now by taking the gospel to the nations. But this is what it says in Revelation 7, 9. It says, and after this, after this, I look, John speaking, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes of people and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is an incredible scene. Remember, we talked about Hebrews that we're going to be partying with the angels in this festal gathering. Here we see angels around the throne of God with other men, individuals, and women, and children from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping the Lord. We're going to experience that one day. It's going to be overwhelming. And we get a little taste of it right now, here today, that we're commissioned to go make disciples of all the nations. The crossing is made up of a bunch of different ethnic groups in here. First, let's just get this clear. There's one human race. When we talk about race, the Bible doesn't talk about different races. The Bible talks about one race, the human race, right? But then in it, it talks about ethnos, different ethnicities. That's when it talks about nations. It's talking about different ethnic groups. 
And so when it talks about go and make disciples of all nations, it's not talking about ge- geopolitical you know, um, country. It's talking about people groups. And the crossing, we're made up of a bunch of different ethnic groups here. There are seven continents on planet Earth, right? If, if I remember my geography. There's seven, right? There's North America, there's South America, there's Europe, there's Africa, there's Asia, there is Australia, and there's Antarctica, right? Did I get that right? Yeah? Okay, good. Good. Public school education. Still remember something. All right. Now, now no one comes from Antarctica. Does anyone, anyone know here, anyone from Antarctica? Raise your hand. No, there's no, there's no inhibited uh, people that are living there from you know, cities and habits. They, they stay there for a time, and they have to get out of Dodge because of global warming, right? Okay. Yeah, you guys caught that one. All right, good. So at the crossing, there, there's six others. And throughout our 12 years, we've had, we've had people come and worship and minister through every, every continent. And right now, we have people from North America, South America, Europe, Africa, and Asia in our body. Central America, do you guys know which one Central America goes with? Does it go with North America or South America? North America. Good, who did that? All right, good job. It's North America. But anyways, all that to say is, the Lord is using this body to reach the nations. Now, even at Global Network, we're part of the Crossway Chapel Network. And this church in particular um, supports um, a church planning group in the Czech Republic. Uh, Freddie, you guys are familiar with Freddie. And so we, we, we send uh, resources to Freddie. We send out a team of people every other, every, every other year to support the, the, the Czech Republic and what's going on there in all the remotes. And, and Freddie's obviously the Czech Republic, as we've been talking about here, have been impacting the refugees from Ukraine. I saw something like some three million coming out. Well, Freddie and the, and the team, the churches out there in Satine and Olomots have, have supported about 3,000 Ukrainian refugees. And we are actually part of that because we've been sending them money and resources. I think we've raised as a network over about over $100,000 uh, to support these, um, these refugees. Um, and about 120 of them have kind of nestled into the, the network churches there. And here we see a little bit of a glimpse that, that where we have churches in, in the Czech Republic and where these, these refugees are, are coming. We have some in the Czech Republic and, and they're in Slovakia. So you right now are making disciples, are helping make disciples in the Czech Republic. You're helping them minister to Ukrainians. At more of a local level here, uh, this church, as you guys know, we talk about Living Water Fellowship. It's a church that we're replanting in the east side of Greeley. And, and we go there and send preachers there once a month, and we go and preach there. Uh, we send worship leaders there. We send people there to go and serve. Well, this past week, this past Easter, they had their first baptism. This Hispanic uh, lady, Rocio, was baptized into the kingdom of God. That's a part of you guys supporting them in making disciples. But then here at a local level, here at the local level, you and I are called to go and make disciples of the nations. So wherever you live, work and play, go and make disciples. So we see that's the going. Along the road, you're going, you're making disciples, whoever you come in contact with. And then we see two other ones. We see teaching and baptism. As we are going, we are called to do things, not only just to go to people as we go to them, but also to teach and baptize them. These two other supporting verbs of make disciples. We understand that, that, that no one comes into the kingdom of God by accident. You have to proclaim the gospel. 
You have to speak the gospel. The, the gospel is good news. It has to, to be spoken for someone to repent and believe in their sins. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. That, that word there, the Word of Christ, is not logos, which is the general word. It's rhema in the original language, which means a specific word. People come to faith by hearing the specific message of the gospel. That people have sinned, Christ has come and lived the perfect life in your place. He died on the cross. He rose again three days. And those who repent of their sins and trust in Him will be saved. It's a spoken word. Now, we might take this for granted that we live in America and everybody knows the gospel. And not everyone knows the gospel. Uh, People might be familiar with the name Jesus. They might understand Easter, but they don't know the gospel. My wife is, is living proof of that. When we met in 1990, she never heard the gospel clearly communicated until she met uh, myself and my family. Isn't that amazing? In 1990, that was happening. Now, some of you young people are like, man, that was ages ago, right? You can't even think about 1990. Now, it was just a couple years ago. There are people in your circles of influence that have never heard the gospel. And that's why you're there. That's why you're in their lives, to share them the life-giving message of the gospel. And when people hear the gospel, they, they repent and are saved. And then the next fruit, the next one of the first fruits of obedience for a new Christian is that of baptism. Is that of baptism. We believe in believer baptism here. That once a person is saved, the next one, the next things they should do in obedience to Christ is to be baptized. Now I want to be clear, baptism doesn't save you. It's, a, it's just an outward reality of an inward, it's, a, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. That you've given your life to Christ. Now, he, is, he now owns you. It's kind of like a wedding ring, right? It's kind of like a wedding ring. It's a, it's a, it's a, this wedding ring is, symbolic, is, is a, a, a symbolic of my wife and I. I am committed to my wife. She has one. She's committed to me. When I put that ring on her finger in 1994, that's when we got engaged, all the guys in New Mexico and around the world just went, oh, man, she's off the market. Right? And when she put this ring on, uh, this ring on my finger, and when we got married, all the girls went, "Oh man, Aaron's off the market, right?" Why you guys laugh at that one harder than you did the first one? What's up? Again, but it's just it's a, it's an outward symbol that I belong to Rita, and that she belongs to me, and that's what baptism is. It's an outward symbol that just says, "I belong to Jesus." You're telling the world that I belong to Jesus. And so if you're sitting in here and you've repented of your sins, you're a Christian, you love Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, the question is, why not? What's keeping you? You should be baptized. And we'd love to do it. You see, the, the, the typical ry- rhythm of this, we find this in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is, is out and, and, the, and the, first the angel of the Lord and then the Holy Spirit tell Philip, man, Rise and go. I'm sending you, verse 26 says, I'm sending you to the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Go. And then in verse 29, it says the Holy Spirit, again, gets to Philip and says, Philip, I want you to go to this person. And it says in verse 29 that Philip, not only does he go, but he runs. He runs because he sees this Ethiopian opening the book of Isaiah and he's reading it out loud. And so Philip runs to the Ethiopian eunuch and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he's like, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. How can I, unless someone guides me, unless someone what? Teaches me. So we see Philip Philip go, 
And now we see him start to teach, all empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Ethiopian said this to Philip, who are they talking about? Who is this man? Is it you or is it someone else? And Philip said in verse 35, oh, beginning with the Scriptures, he told them about Jesus. He told them about the Gospel. This Ethiopian gets saved. And then verse 36 says this, and they were going along the road. Some came to water. And the eunuch said, see, there is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariots to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. Baptism is one of the first acts of obedience if you repent of your sins and trust it in Christ. And so today, we're calling you to be baptized. To be baptized in the Christ. Over the last 12 years, the, the crossing has baptized over 100 plus people. We've seen now about average 10 to 12 people come to faith every year. That's in God's providence. That's what He's given to this church. Some other churches He gives more. Some other churches He gives less. But to us, He's been fruitful for that. And we're excited about that. We're thankful for that. We've seen lives transformed by the gospel. Lives that were transformed by the gospel and they've been baptized. The question to you this morning is, do you need to be baptized? If so, we're going to have pastors up here. and We want you to come up and just say, hey man, I love Jesus, but I haven't been baptized yet. And we're going to have a baptism. Maybe it's next Sunday we'll have a baptism. That's why we keep this thing full, ready to go. We don't have just specific dates. It's like when everyone comes to faith, it's, it's baptism day. And so um, if that's you, please come up and see one of us and we'll get that scheduled. Some of you in here were like me. You were, you were baptized as an infant. And, and there's a there's a, a a view in there, and it's a it's a, it, some quote it is a biblical view, and and uh, you guys know one of my heroes of this faith is R. C. Sproul, and he was a Presbyterian. He believed in believe uh, infant baptism, but but we believe the scriptures um, teach um, conversion baptism. That when someone repents of their sin, that's when you are baptized. So for me personally, I was baptized as an infant. But when I came to true saving faith, my own personal testimony is like, man, I need to go and be baptized because now I understand what I'm doing. And so we would encourage you to do that as well. So be baptized. Next, this talks about teaching, teaching all that I command you. Again, it's like teaching, baptized, teaching. Here's another action of a disciple of Christ is that every person is a teacher. Every person in here is a teacher of the gospel, is a proclaimer of truth, is a teacher in the Christian life. You see, mission doesn't stop when you become saved. There's this thinking out there that I become saved, I, I repent of my sins and trust in Christ and I'm in, which is right, you're in, you're good, but then it stops there. No, that's just the journey starts to begin. Now there's a whole thing of growing and developing into a mature believer. One said this, Churches die when converts don't become disciples. Churches die when converts don't become disciples. Again, I've been in full-time ministry over 20 plus years in, in church ministry, and I've seen churches close because they love Jesus, but they, didn't, they got the great commandment right, but they didn't get the great commission. And they just whittle, 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 whittle. Churches die because converts don't become disciples. Because unfortunately, again, in America, there's this, this wrong thinking that discipleship is those of the professional Christians, the, the pastors, the elders, the deacon, the life group leaders, the, or those super Christians over there. They're the ones that make disciples. No, the Bible teaches if you love Jesus, you are a disciple. And you are called to make disciples. It's our job as leadership, as Ephesians 4 says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body. 
that's why we, we, we equip you and we have Sunday seminars and we teach from the scriptures and we have other seminars throughout the, the year to help equip you become better disciple makers so that you go out and disciple those where you live, work, and play. But we also do that as well alongside one another. I've said this before many times throughout the history of the crossing that this body, you, will have a greater impact on, on the kingdom of God than I will as a pastor. You as individuals, you, you have a, an influence over the people that you uh, are in your circle of influence that, that I don't. And you're called to go and reach them. It first begins, though, with you being discipled by King Jesus. That's number one. It first begins with you being discipled by King Jesus. So just look at your walk. How, how is your walk with Jesus right now? How, how are you learning from Jesus? Are you taking in His Word? Are you having that daily communication through prayer and through some of the other spiritual disciplines? This is, there's a reason why they're called disciplines of grace, not disciplines of work. It's a, it's, a, it's a joy. We get to be taught and be trained by Jesus. These are, these are tools to help us come to know Christ. So how are you doing just personally with your personal relationship being discipled by King Jesus? And then how are you doing ministering and discipling those in your circles of influence? You see, we're all disciple makers in here. We're all disciple makers in here. And it begins, again, with your family. And then it goes out to your friends. So how are you doing? I know many of us in here, I can just get feel it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm not doing as well as I should. And this is not a, a guilt sermon. This is, a, this is a way, where are we at and where are we going? You see, the goal of discipleship is not perfection. The goal of discipleship is progress. The goal of discipleship is progress. That we are growing along the road of discipleship. Here's a, here's a comforting verse that's always comforted me in making disciples. It's, the, it's Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Because I don't know about you, but it can feel overwhelming even to me as a pastor. And I love making disciples. But it even become overwhelming to me. But Acts 4.13 says this. This is where it gets comforting. It says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, those in the Jerusalem area, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Where did they get their boldness from? They got their boldness from the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, right? Their boldness came through the Holy Spirit and the authority of God. And it goes on to say this. And they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This verse has encouraged me over the years, and hopefully it encourages you. Because I'm an uneducated, common man. I, I, I know most of you, and you guys are educated way more than me. I majored in eligibility. You guys are smarter than I am, right? But, but you guys are common. They're common like me. But what made these disciples and the ladies in this, in this group uncommon was that they were filled by the Holy Spirit. They had God's Word illuminated to them. And they, they, they walked together in community. And with that, they became uncommon and they turned the world upside down for Jesus. We have the same Holy Spirit the same Word, the same Gospel community. And we can turn Fort Collins 
the state of Colorado and this nation and this world upside down. Not because there's anything good about us, but because the Holy Spirit and God's authority is moving through us. This is our mission. This is what God is calling us to. If the tomb is empty, we are to go, we are to teach, and we are to baptize. Third, and finally, our confidence to make disciples is in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What we see here is our confidence is not only, does not only begin with the authority of Jesus sending us to the nation, but it also ends with us and Jesus. That He is with us always to the ends of the age. Matthew bookends the Great Commission with Jesus because that's what it's all about. That's what we need to go and make disciples. We need Jesus' authority and we need Him to be with us. And not only does, does Matthew bookend the Great Commission, he bookends his book the whole book of Matthew with Jesus. In the beginning, in Matthew 1.23, when Jesus is sent, He said, you shall call His name what? Emmanuel, God with you. And then we see at the end that Jesus is with us. That's where our confidence comes. Our confidence comes when we know that King Jesus is with us. When I was teaching my kids to, to swim, it's one of the joys of, of being a parent. You get to teach your kids to swim. I had five of them. Some were quicker learners than others. Um, but this, this always gives me a great illustration on how to build confidence. How to build confidence. I could have told my kids, hey, there's the pool. Just, just go jump in and flail around. You'll, you'll eventually get it, right? Did that, do you think that would build much confidence in, in them? Like, hey, there's the deep end of the pool. Just go jump right in and, and we'll watch you from here, right? No, they wouldn't do that. What had to happen first is daddy had to jump in the pool first and be like, hey, Madison, I'm here. Daddy's going to catch you. Go ahead and jump. There was a confidence then that was built in them, and then they would just leap for joy right into the pool. That's the comfort we have in verse 20. That Jesus is there in the pool with us. He's telling us to jump. Have confidence. I am with you. Take that step. Share that truth. When that door opens up, when someone asks you about Jesus or presents you with an opportunity to share the gospel, take that leap, knowing that you're leaping from the authority of Jesus and Jesus is there with you. That gives us comfort to fulfill the Great Commission. At the crossing, discipleship has always been a major emphasis. It's been one of the major pillars that we have uh, had here. One said this, as a, as a new church continues to grow and change, it will outgrow its old system and structures. Therefore, a church disciple strategy must, must be structured enough to maintain order, but organic enough to change with the ongoing needs of the church as it grows or it will hinder its growth. Therefore, the church's discipleship strategy must be organic. Our, our strategy here at the crossing is an organic strategy. Uh, there's a lot of people that have come through here and that are really structured and real detailed and they need like every jot and tittle and sometimes they get frustrated with our discipleship strategy because they say, just tell me how to do it. It's like, man, I, I can't just tell you how to do it because there's no detailed structure that Jesus gave us how to do it. He gave these big general principles and says, go do it according to your personality. Jesus could have produced mass discipleships, but that wasn't how he did it. He did it through relationships. He did it along the road with his disciples and others for three years. 
He gathered 12 men and three who were extra close to him, 70 that hung around on a periphery and again spent three years with him. And he shared more than content. Did Jesus teach them? Yes, Jesus taught them. He was the best teacher and he probably taught them more than anyone would know. But he also shared meals with them. He also shared life with them. He also laughed with them. Probably made fun of Peter a lot. What? He shared his hurts. He shared with tears. He exhorted. He encouraged. He modeled devotion. He taught them how to speak and how to share. When to speak, when not to speak. He shared his heart. He shared his doctrine every step of the way of his life. And that's our model here. You see, discipleship is not so much a program, though it needs some structure. It is a program. It is an organic lifestyle. Discipleship is, is organic in the context of life. Along the way, you make disciples. So here at the crossing, we're going to really come out with this this summer. We're going to work on this and give you guys some more structure to really run in this, but it is going to be organic. If you've been around the crossing, you understand that we have the three relational values, love, live, legacy, in which we believe every disciple needs to grow in those three relationships because that's, those are three relationships that every Christian has. Our vertical relationship with the Lord is number one. Our second relationship is we live with other Christians. And our third relationships is those that we live that do not know Jesus. So in all those three areas is which we look at as a disciple, how am I growing in all those three relationships? And how do we grow? Well, we grow through the spiritual disciplines of Bible study, prayer, the word, Sunday gatherings, etc. But there's two pathways in particular. One pathway is more of our intentional, if you will, or gather or formal discipleships. That's like Sunday gatherings and life groups and journey groups. Like you know that there's going to be some, some teaching going on. There's going to be some singing going on. There's going to be some fellowship going on. It's, it's verbal instruction. There's some information transfer. That's happened in these, these gatherings. They're, they're very structured. That's one pathway that we need to press into. The other pathway is the natural life. It's the organic life. It's those, those relationships and those, the way we grow outside these walls. It's spontaneous. It's, it's watching the national championship basketball game. As we're watching that, enjoying the sports, and we're eating food, we're sharpening one another. Like, hey, I have a question. This happened to me at, at school, or this happened to me at work. How would you handle that? And that's a way, another pathway, and we go. So we need those formal ways, and we need those informal ways. And that's how we're going we're gonna to roll this out a little bit more in particular. But that's how we make disciples here. We make disciples in those two pathways, those, those gathering ones and those what we sell call scattering ones. And with those three views of those three relational with a relationship with the Lord, relationship with those who know Jesus, and with those who do not know Jesus. And again, it's not perfection. We're asking you for progress. So how do you know if you're being a good disciple? If you look back on 2021, you said, hey, I grew in my love for God. I grew in my love for those that with other, walking through the one another's with other Christians. And I grew in my love for those that do not know Jesus. That is progress. That is progress. And that is what we are looking for. Let me end with this quote. William Sanger had this had a debilitating disease. He was a preacher, and he became more paralyzed as the disease progressed. Eventually, it came to Easter Sunday where he was supposed to preach, and his vocal cords were paralyzed, so he couldn't preach. He was the preacher of that day. So he had to uh, write a little note of, uh, to his daughter to, to be read. And this is what the message said. 
He said, how horrible on Easter to have no voice to shout, He is risen. But far worse is it to have a voice and not want to shout, He is risen. And I think we can apply that to discipleship. That, man, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you believe that the tomb is empty, Matthew says, and other writers say, that your implication, how it impacts your life, is that you go and make disciples where you live, work, and play. Everyone in here has a role to play in the story of redemption. And how we are best going to worship King Jesus. So we're going to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, And how we best do that is we go and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this text. Lord, it is a text that we're all familiar with. It's a text that we know that we're, we're, we're called to do and we have a desire to do it. So I pray right now that all of us in here, that all of us in here, that You would give us an extra measure of grace to go and make disciples of every nation and baptizing them and teaching them all that You have commanded us. Lord, and I pray that 2022, that we would look back on this 10 years from now and we would say like that was a line. That's where the Lord continued to work even that much more. And you grew the crossing. You grew the kingdom of God. First through evangelism and, and men and women proclaiming the gospel to where they live, work, and play. Then them were repenting and thus baptizing them. And then we're making disciples who are making disciples who make disciples. So that, Lord willing, when if you have not come back, Lord, that a hundred years from now, when everyone in this room is probably dead and buried, that the crossing is still moving forward, generation after generation, making disciples. Lord, this is our desire. This is our prayer. And it begins with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.